0: From the city of brotherly love, this is Shark Bite Biz with David Strausser. You just arrived to the newest episode of Shark Bite Biz. I'm your Rockstar wannabe host David Strausser, and this is your place to learn how to grow a business during complete global chaos. Normally, I'd like to think I give an awesome intro and outro segment for each one of these interviews, but today. I got to keep it honest with you. I'm fighting COVID. It hurts to talk. It hurts to breathe. I think the worst of it's over, but, you know, I'm sorry for today's guest. I'm going to have to keep it short on the intro and outro. But I do think we have a pretty good, long, bad interview in there to keep you all occupied. I will say, though, please head on over to DeadHouseCoffee.com. Use code SHARK, and you'll save 20% off of your order. And you'll get the freshest coffee known on Earth. Now, with that out of the way, who do we have today? None other than Mr. Stuart Leo. Stuart Leo is the founder and CEO of Waymaker.io, an intelligent business management platform that helps leaders build a better business in 30 days. Stuart is a global thinker in strategy, systems, and leadership development, As the founder of WayMaker.io, he has led the creation of WayMaker's Leadership Curve, a revolutionary way of building clarity, alignment, and remarkable results for any organization. So without any further delay, let's bring Stuart right on in here. Business Strategy. Stuart, all the way from Australia, welcome to Shark Fight Biz. You, my friend, it just
1: became shark bait. Oh, <laughs> uh, dear, David! It's a it's a pleasure to be with you, and um, uh, I'm I'm in I'm in the shark shark pen. I'm 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 worried now. I'm worried this could go anywhere. Yeah, you know
0: it definitely definitely can. And there are a lot of sharks down there in Australia, so. You got like a a lot, a a good vibe going on there, I guess.
1: We have them everywhere. We have them everywhere.
0: (laughs) So we start, you know, every single episode, we start off the same. Okay. What do you do for a living? How did you start doing it? Where did you come from? Basically, in a nutshell, tell us, who is Stuart
1: Leo? I run a startup, a tech startup called Waymaker.io. And um, the, the platform helps businesses diagnose, it's an intelligent business management platform. It diagnoses a business in five to 15 minutes, surfaces growth gaps, and then helps you plan a strategic roadmap to hit your goals and then gives you the intelligence along the journey to get there. So Waymaker is all about helping leaders and teams find their way, make their way to their vision. And we work with, um, uh, specifically with business coaches and consultants all around the world, certifying, training them, helping them, leading them, and they use our software and toolkits with their clients, um, building better business. That's the that's the big idea. If we can build a better business, you've you've got a better life. So,
0: without giving all the chum to the sharks, how do you do? <laughs> I've never said that before. Uh, uh, how do you do what you do? Like, how do you? Diagnose a, bi- diagnose a business and tell them how to fix it or make it better or, or grow. I mean, h- how does that magic happen? Because, I mean, to me, again, I'm on the outside looking in, okay? I go into every single one of these interviews. I book myself, and I go in, and I just kind of scan over. Okay, yep, good fit. We'll take them. Eh, not a good fit you know, I'll we'll skip them. And, but I go in blissfully ignorant because I really want to be curious when I'm on the air about what your program does or what you do. And with how you just explained waymaker.io, I'm intrigued. I mean, I want to learn more how you do what you do and exactly what it is that you produce. Explain everything to as high level you can do.
1: Yeah, yeah. So somehow I snuck through the uh quality control. That's good. Um yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, the, I got it, a, <laughs> a way maker would have blocked you, right? <laughs> no, no, no.
1: <laughs> the big idea, <clears throat> the big idea really came um from a story I heard about 10 years ago. Um and um and, and, and I'll tell this story and it'll make sense on how we do it. How do we diagnose a business in five to 15 minutes and do what? You, you,
0: you can tell the whole story because everybody's just going to be purely enchanted by your Australian accent here in the States. So <laughs> we'll, we'll gladly
1: listen to your story. Tell. Well, just, just, just think I look like Chris Hemsworth and, um, and I'll be happy. <laughs> it was about um, 10 years ago I came across this story and, and it was fascinating where um, the British military reinvented how they would develop the highest value course of action on the battlefield. And, um, and they did it in a brutally simple, really powerful way that has been phenomenally successful. It it transformed the way their forces um, act and perform in the theater of war. And, and and it came about like this in, in the late eighties and nineties, the, the world was in a cold war and, and, and we were ending a cold war. Although, Sometimes it feels like we're back there, but hey, back then we were... A lot of people say it's like Cold War 2.0 right now. That's right. That's right. And, um, and as, as um, Eastern Europe was, was falling, the, the, the walls were coming down, the Iron Curtain, if, if you remember that term. And um, I was at school when the Berlin Wall came down and the USSR was fragmenting back into its individual states. Um, the Cold War was ending and the British military had known um, a traditional enemy for a very long time. Um, uh, you, you know, it was a, it was a traditional enemy that, that wore a uniform that was different types of states that you could point a missile at and, you know, knew who you were kind of um, competing with. Um, it had hierarchy. It generally followed some rules. But in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, the world was shifting geopolitically it was moving from a cold war to a hot war the 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 focus was shifting from eastern europe to the middle east and and in in that hot war there wasn't really all the same structures and traditions of the cold war so you didn't have a traditional enemy in fact it wasn't really even enemy of state the it was ideology
0: well for a while they kept trying to blame iraq
1: that's right yeah and and the and without you know getting into the politics of the situation, the, the West played by the old rules. They said, "Well, you as a country must be at fault." Or, it, and, but in reality, it was a it was a shift from enemy of state to enemy of ideology. Which, if you think about that, I mean, just just to reinforce,
0: uh, you know, we think back again to uh, two thousand one, September eleventh. Um, most people our age, I'd assume from what you've explained, you're maybe a few years older than me. I'm 38, but, uh, or we're around the same age group at least. Uh, but, okay, okay, there you go, there you go. See, I can be complimentary of my guest, but, uh, <laughs> uh, so with that though, I mean, it was kind of like, you know, hey, you're with us or you're, and I'm explaining this for some of the younger executives out there that I'm an, I guess you would call an old millennial. So I lived through this stuff. I remember it, I was 17, 18, 19. At the time it was the, you're with us or you're against us. And basically Bush at the time said that, hey, Iraq, um, Afghanistan and uh, North Korea or maybe Iran was thrown in there. But I mean, they were like the three or four targets yeah, the access of evil, exactly. and uh, that he was going to be going against. And you know, it ended up being the Iraqi and then eventually I mean the Afghanistan and then eventually the Iraqi war for the enablers of that ideology, which is what you're talking about now.
1: Yeah, exactly. You have hit the nail on the head there. And um and 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 what was happening was um and the British military had this problem. Uh, I don't know if it it followed through with with the US as well. But in a traditional environment, um, which you've had this for 100 plus years, you build up ways of working, strategic decision making. And when you move into another field of operations that's not traditional, not structured, not normal, but now very agile, very disruptive, you need to change the way you're working. And so the, the ways they were working weren't working. The strategic decision-making processes in the theatre of war on the battlefield were, were ineffective. And the way the British military solved it was to step back and say, we need to simplify because we need to work faster, we need to have higher value, we need to be able to adapt more quickly. And they developed a, a, a framework, a strategic framework they called the seven questions. and And they said, if you ask and answer these seven questions on the battlefield, you will develop the highest value course of action. I'm not a whiz, but I kind of get the vibe
0: that you're setting me up to ask you, well, Stuart, what are
1: the seven questions? Um, Yeah, and I will tell you in a moment. um, And the the effect, before I tell you what they are, I'll tell you about the effect that had. it took leadership teams and guys on the ground from working through clumsy and cumbersome planning processes um, uh, into a very agile, rapid, highly collaborative experience on the ground. And and it decentralised. It, it, allowed, it allowed the people on the ground with the information at their fingertips to make great decisions. Um, it... It flattened the organisation. It created a language that from generals to privates, you could ask and answer. So it meant that we were using a common language now for strategic decision making. And and the effect it had was was transformative to developing highly agile operations on the ground. And, And so... The, the the British military's seven questions. Um,
0: I, I do got to make a comment though. You you said that you weren't sure if, for example, the British military and the U.S. military, for example, had that same issue. There, our answer when that shift happened was just oh, we'll just attack everybody. I mean, they went throughout the whole Middle East. It seems, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's pretty much what they did. So so, uh, uh, I'm not a huge fan of that. I wish they adopted. I think, though, they have adopted, you know, from what I understand of how the military works, it does sound like they've adopted more of a localized type of agile method for wherever they're operating from, which has pros and some cons because, I mean, you saw... Some atrocities that happened at the hands of some US people that were sometimes, you know, localized command, not centralized command, making those decisions. And,
1: you know, some big bloopers happened. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the, um, the, the, the key insight, the key learning was that as the world changed, some of the leadership and management practices that were at play needed to change. They didn't work in this world. And, and one of the things about the military, um, and I'm not a military guy. I take my hat off and and honor anybody that's served, I've had family members do that. Um, uh, but one of the things about the military is that your leadership and management practices have life and death outcomes. Um, you know, we can start a business. We might sell widgets or t-shirts or software. It's not really life and death. Um, you know, our, we're not, we're not, Coming to the end of a quarter and going, gosh, did we lead well this last quarter? Um, Well, we lost some money or we could have made more money.
0: If not, off with your head. Correct. You know, exactly,
1: exactly. One of the things about the military is that it really sharpens the focus on innovation in leadership. And, and so it's a great, this video just got demonetized. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. No, Um, no, I'm kidding.
0: I'm kidding. It was my fault.
1: It was my joke. uh, And and so Uh, when we're good, keep going. Okay. So I'll I'll get back to answering your question. So by, by 2002, um, the British military had, had um, institutionalized these seven questions. It was, it was transformative to the way they were, they were executing on the ground. And still to this day, if, if you're learning how to do strategy and, um, and command, uh, you're learning these seven questions. Well, I was in my life at that point, I was just coming out of corporate experience for the last 10 years. And, you know, you know corporates have the best and the worst of business. Um, uh, and, and the best is yep. Great business. Um, Lots of infrastructure, lots of zeros to get things done. The worst, you've got to go through six subcommittees and play politics and do all that stuff. A lot of red
0: tape, bureaucracy, many layers, and that is symbi- you know, symbolic of a lot of military command structures right there too.
1: Yeah, and so I, I was in my you know corporate frustrations looking for tools and practices that you could go, wow, what, what could innovate? What will bring the edge to a business? And I came across this story from the British military and was like, wow, that'd be really cool. Imagine if you could do that in a business, because you know what, what business has gone through is kind of like what the military has gone through. We've moved from the 20th century to the 21st century. We've gone from traditional business environments where you kind of knew what was going to happen. There was, there weren't too many big shocks for 50 or 60 or 70 years. Um, until we have gone through two decades now of massive shocks every few years, from 9-11s to GFCs to financial crises to pandemics and to digital disruption. Um, how could I forget that? And, and so business today is, is disruptive. It's highly disruptive. And a lot of the old leadership and management practices from the 20th century uh, are just futile in the daily battlefield of marketplace work. Does that make sense? Um, Oh, it
0: makes total sense. I was
1: just looking at an article on HPR the
0: other day and the headline on it, I I did not read it yet, but I gave it to my sales team as homework and we're going to be going over at our next sales meeting. So I will have read it by the time this episode aired, but The headlines, what caught my attention, which is, you know, how you have done business previously is really no longer valid in 2022 going forward. Now, yes, you see headlines like that all over the place, but it's usually by some nitwit somewhere writing the article that, you know, either you believe what he says or she says or you don't. Okay, what caught my attention was who wrote the article. And it was, I believe the author of the Challenger sale, which is a, you know, one of the traditional sales methodology books. And because it was written by him, I was like, okay, you know, the, the head, cause usually I'm not just a headline reader. I read a full article. But seeing that headline and then who wrote or co-wrote that article being from the challenger sale authors, that's where it's like, okay, this has value in it somewhere. Let's get it out to our, you know, sales team, have them read it, and then we'll discuss it, whether you know, we think it's legit or not. But I, I based that off of who the author was. But I, I do think that that has value what you're what you're saying. And that's why. I brought up about that that article because I, I kind of, I personally feel the same way that, you know, business is different now and it's, you know, ev- the pandemic pushed us off the digital transformation edge. Now they're saying possibly we're at the endemic or it's just, we're going to live with COVID forever. Um, by the way, we've been saying since about the fourth or fifth episode on this show, now that we're at the tail end of this, uh, uh, pandemic and you know, it's like 140 episodes later, it's still here. Um, but with that, I think that the way that we do business is still ever evolving because we're in that weird stage, hopefully that we're getting to the Endemic with COVID and how business evolves and what things happen during COVID stays or don't stay, I think is going to be very interesting how that all evolves going forward. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. It does. And, and, um, the, the takeout for, Oh,
0: thank God. I, I was fearing you were going to say, no, David, that makes absolutely no sense at all.
1: You're ape shit crazy. Well, it's why we built Waymaker. Um, you know, the takeout of business is, is the principles matter, but maybe the tactics have got to change. And, um, and so, And and that was the big idea of these seven questions with the British military. Um, The tactics are going to change and they're going to change rapidly, but the core principles, they're not. And if you could distill core principles down into a small number of questions that you could ask regularly, then you could be transformative in how quickly you can respond to changing situations. And so when I came Sorry, I was going
0: to say going back to, I I understand that there's a seven questions, um, but Going back to your software from, you know, one of the first questions I asked uh, that brought up this uh, wonderful story is, you know, how does it take in the data and how does it produce the results? That's what I'm confused on. I want to find out more, not confused, but I'm more interested in hearing how that happens in that process.
1: Yeah. So, so we came across these seven questions and, and I was like, wow, that's what a fantastic way of distilling. So if we could take those seven questions and use them in business, what would that look like? Well, in, in brief, the British military seven questions are designed to blow something up. And in business, we want to build something up. So that started a journey of going, well, let the British military do it. The British military. Well, let's just take the let's let's take the principles.
0: You watch Ted Lasso? <laughs>
1: I do. I do. Fantastic. I don't know
0: the 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 owner of that uh, that football club or soccer, as we call it in America, soccer club. She was pretty determined in trying to blow them
1: up. She probably could have used those British military questions. She probably could have. She probably could have. So we rewrote the questions. We started a journey of going, okay, well, if the British military can do it in military operations, can, you know, can we little old one or two people in our little consulting firm rewrite it for business? And that, that started about a six or seven year journey. And, and, and so we did. And, um, firstly there were five questions and there were six and then there were eight. We were trying to avoid seven because we just didn't want to be like the British military but in the end, we landed on seven questions ourselves. And just like the military, when they're asking, asking and answering the seven questions, whether they're hunkered down behind some Humvees in the desert doing during 30, 45 minutes, or whether they're back at HQ doing it over two or three days, they've got some software in their hands. And this is the important bit. That software is helping you ask and answer each question um, more accurately, more deeply, with greater clarity, and more effectively as a team. And so we built some software around the seven questions we'd written. And and so how do we diagnose a business? Well, um, we've identified a data set of core principles, two to 300 touch points, that it doesn't matter what business you are, in order to get to market leadership, you need to have established clarity, maturity, alignment, and performance in these two to 300 areas. And, and the diagnostic picks up on those areas and filters them back into seven areas.
0: So with your que- your, your seven questions, though, are they yes or no type questions? Are they more elaborative kind of type questions? Can you give us an example or does that give away your special
1: sauce? No, in fact, um, anybody can go and download the seven questions from our website. Just jump onto Waymaker.io, go to learn, click on Waymaker's leadership curve, and you'll get a breakdown of the seven questions. And, and you could just grab yourself a coffee and ask yourself the seven questions. Um, nothing wrong with that. It's, it's simply just a framework. The smarts are in the software that actually helps you as a collective leadership team diagnose the business. So I'll give you some examples. We, we, we go across seven areas of the business, clarity of vision, clarity of market, clarity of strategy, clarity of the business model and value proposition, clarity of the customer experience, which includes sales, marketing, and service, and clarity of the employee experience around principles, talent acquisition, and then clarity of goals and performance. So for example. Now you
0: just mentioned talent acquisition. I want to ask really quickly before you get onto the rest. In the U S we're having a problem, uh, called the great resignation, very hard to hire people out of curiosity. And this has nothing to do with Waymaker in general, but is
1: it the same type of employment market in Australia as well too? Yeah. We, we see similar trends. It's not as pronounced in Australia as it is in the U S. Um, uh, we've got, we've just got a different labor market, um, here in Australia. And, uh, but, yeah, we, we, we are seeing a significant shift in people choosing to go, I don't want that life I had before the pandemic. Um, I, we, we've seen a massive population movement out of the major cities into the regional areas. So for the first 200 years of Australia's existence, the first 100 years everybody was out.
0: I, I was going to say the great outback with an Aussie accent, but I'm like, no, I don't want to get, I don't want, I don't want to insult him. So uh, uh, we'll just leave that for people's imaginations. But no, that's uh that's great. I don't get to talk to people from Australia every day. We've had, um, I think we've had Australians on the show just that they live in, in the United States. We've had someone from New Zealand on the show as well too. Um, so we get people from your region of the world that actually listen and watch this podcast. Uh, but, you know, you're the first person I've gotten to, to speak to since the Great Resignation. And I was wondering if, you know, how global this phenomenon is. Cause I know it's happening in Canada. I know it's in
1: the US. So I know in Europe I've heard of it. it it's global. And the, the greatest shift here in Australia has been in people choosing to move. So we've seen property prices in regions go up thirty, forty, fifty percent. We've seen um uh Massive amounts of people move out of Sydney and Melbourne, um, move north to places like where we are, which is a bit like Miami. Um, it's, it's a coastal region. And, and, you know, we call it the Zoom boom here in Australia. Um, you probably have a similar term, but it's a similar population trend. For example, um, massive shifts of people out of places like San Francisco and Los Angeles across to um, Houston and, and Miami and places where you go.
0: I've even heard of people moving to Idaho. Can you believe that? Idaho. You're from Australia. Do you even,
1: do? You, have you heard of Idaho? All I know about Idaho is, what was that Keanu Reeves movie um, like 20 years ago? I don't, I'm not that old. I don't know. <laughs> okay, yeah. Oh, now bird. Uh,
0: but I, 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 I brought that up to ask because one, genuine curiosity about the Australian market. But then two, because you said that that's one of the things that you ask about so with what's going on with the uh, Australia's version of the great resignation or even the US's if you have a US based client is that something that factors into your software because it sounds like to me what you have is a kind of like a, a business intelligence type platform that's helping companies turn Raw data, information, trends, and statistics into useful knowledge that will allow them to uh, make decisions off, you know, hard data and stats instead of just
1: a gut feeling. Is that accurate? Yeah, pr- pretty much. So, question six in our seven questions um, relates to employee experience, and 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 question six is what is our employees' employee experience? So, what is it? And how do we acquire, retain and grow our talent through our principles and what improvements need to be made? And then we, we have a leadership curve, a diagnostic which surfaces all the gaps. But there's a, there's a key word in that question. Although we say, what is our employee experience? The next, next part of the question is, how do we acquire, retain and grow our talent? Not our employees. And, and there's a huge mindset um, that businesses, uh, mindset shift businesses are making between talent and employees. And the great resignation is fueling the ever-emerging and booming gig economy. And what's happening is organizations don't just rely on employees. They rely on talent. And that talent is decentralized, just like the military, just if I go back to what the military went through.
0: I'm lucky. My, 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 my day job, Vision 33, We do ERP, so Enterprise Resource Planning with SAP and also SAGE. And with that, um, we've always been decentralized. Uh, Day one, uh, because I used to work sales, Los Angeles, they moved me to Philly to take over the Northeast. And, you know, our viewers viewers and listeners know this story, but, you know, I got promoted to uh, run our northeast region and also the east coast for sage intact but bottom line is is that we don't have any office out here we have never had an office out here all of our staff is decentralized always has been and this is pre-pandemic uh, which i felt really put us ahead of the curve because we were already doing things like remote implementations and stuff like that. that Pre-pandemic, our competitors really weren't able to do. So they're 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 trying to play catch up on figuring out, oh, how do we do a blueprint, which is a business process review? How do we do that remotely over Zoom or Teams and make it effective? Whereas we already have that and we're down on the ground, you know, billing the next
1: day after
0: things. Closed down, we're just doing it through Microsoft Teams. So
1: there's been a boom. There's been a boom in recent months and in the last 12 to 18 months in um, firms like Deal and others that specialize in being an employer of record where you can build an international team or a decentralized team rapidly, quickly, and easily. Yeah, isn't that crazy? What site was that so that our our listeners... So if you just... What did I mention? Deal, D-E-E-L is one of the... um, Growing startups in the space, um, and 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 so that's so, so you know in the old world um, it was about employees it was you know and it was about creating a go back to the early days even the early days of digital disruption with with you know Google offices and campuses and creating a place with bean bags and food on tap and drinks on tap blah 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 well we've seen a fundamental shift in psyche around that people don't want to go back into large office buildings and pay a million dollars for it? I read an article on Forbes that
0: uh, I believe it was, it was either Forbes or Business Insider. Uh, I read a lot of Forbes because I'm a Forbes contributor. So I, you know, through their biz dev council. So I I write on there, I read a lot on there, uh, but it was one of those two about people that have not just one or two jobs, but three or four full time jobs that they're working at the same time. And there are people that are, you know, making a million dollars plus a year base salary bonuses, all that stuff, working these jobs and how they're hiding it from other employers. Like there's Reddit threads dedicated to this stuff. Like what excuses to give if you're not updating your LinkedIn with the new positions And it is insane. And these people are, I mean, it's not like they're just taking a salary and they're not doing anything because of the fact that they're able to remote work and the flexible working conditions. Like with me, my team, okay? It's kind of like between nine and five, you can, there are certain activities that you can only do, you know? Like, for example, bank. Okay, you've got to do banking for the most part between nine and five. Okay, get those activities between nine and five done. Everything else, if it's before nine, after five, I don't care. As long as you get your time in, you know, your billable hours and everything's on the up and up, I don't care. And it seems like because people are demanding those flexible work hours and stuff like that, that it has allowed people. Especially working from home to take on
1: three to four full time jobs. That's insane. Yeah, insanely smart. Um, uh, I haven't read that article, couldn't, couldn't comment on that. But the I will find it for
0: you and send it to you afterwards. I mean, that's pretty cool, though. I, I give them credibility for figuring out how to take full advantage of
1: the situation and making it work. So the, the shift in thinking, and, and this is where the seven questions come back in They're They're forcing the business leader and leaders to become situationally aware of what's going on around them and incredibly focused on the clarity and the maturity they need to build within them. And, and so the continuous improvement cycle that you get by regularly asking and answering these seven questions is helping you respond in a more agile way to what's going on around you. And, and so we, we specifically, you know, you touched on on employee experience and talent. The future employee experience is about contractors, subcontractors, it's um, employees, um, on-demand resources, hybrid teams. Uh, the future company and the future workplace of the world is, is not what it was five years ago.
0: I, I think in the United States that that's true. The gig economy is big, stuff like that. But then you also run into the issue of stuff like i don't know how your health system is down in australia i know how it is in in the uk in canada in those places but in the us we have this lovely thing called obamacare and to be quite honest uh it's a hot mess and You know, that's where the gig economy, you know, it it makes it hard. Unless you're like under the threshold and you can get it from the marketplace or chief, which you can't always do in all states because it's a state by state thing. It's so such a wreck that like how how valid do you think that is, you know, going to the U.S. versus Australia then? Because, I mean, I know that benefits like. Healthcare, you know, um, other perks, bonuses, stuff like that. There are things that have a lot of value to many people and survey after survey in, you know, stateside.
1: Yeah. So um, the difference between Australia and the US in this space is that we have a very different um, healthcare system. We we have a, um, well, what an American would call an almost socialized healthcare system. It's... Um, there's there's a safety net there which pushes our tax rates up significantly. Um but we have a
0: safety net if you're if you're poor, if you're disabled, if you're, you know, I, I think retired people. But I mean they're they're able to get it again. It depends state by state. Um, during the uh at the end of the Great Recession, right when I was I, I started college late in my life and ended up taking a year where I was working just part-time so that I could study full-time at school. And during that time period, I mean, we had all but free health insurance for the the whole family through the state of California. Um, You know, so they're, they're, it's very different because, right. I could do that in
1: California, but not Pennsylvania. Yeah. the, The difference is in Australia, I could, I could, hurt myself and walk into a hospital and get treated and walk out without a bill. Totally different. Um, very similar to the NHS in the UK and, and we've adopted that system in this country. We often joke that if, um, if America could adopt Australia's healthier system and, and if Australia could adopt um, America's tax system, then you'd have the best of both worlds. Um, it, it'd be phenomenal. Um, but, uh, but I think that's, that's an area, particularly in the U S that we'll see some amazing innovation in. And you're starting to see it. You know, if I wanted to hire, you know, ten Americans tomorrow, I wouldn't need to go and set up an LLC in America. I would go through an intermediary that's already hiring ten thousand people, and I would have access to the best rates on healthcare for the five people or ten people that I want to hire. You know, this is the kind of innovation we're seeing in 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 talent markets at the moment.
0: That's a great point. That's a that that's a great point that that intermediary. Thing that you're talking about, like a company in between there or that type of contract, gig work, whatever it may be, that is something that I think is starting to gain some more ground than people are going to be
1: using. Correct. And, and we'll see more innovation in that space as the gig economy grows and, and as talent fragments. And, and that'll be fascinating because it'll mean that, you know, as you collect up 10, 20, 30 million, 40 million people in the gig economy and go, well, if I could be the one platform providing healthcare to the gig economy, I've now got a buying rate better than any company in America, which will create a competitive advantage to be in the gig economy versus being in an employment situation. And they would have
0: learned, and they would have learned of all that data in detail that they need to do that because of Waymaker.io, right? Absolutely. See, I brought that full
1: circle. Thank you. I'll, I'll get you on the payroll. That'll that'll be fantastic. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, so, I mean, the big idea of Waymaker was can we bring agility, focus, leadership, and performance back into the emerging small to medium enterprise, and big if you want it, um, and can we do that in a way that's dramatically different from the 20th century? And so can we can we get greater focus, make faster decisions, make better decisions, and have greater clarity and alignment? And the net net of that brings faster results, better results. And so we've seen that. How long has your startup been around? So we've, the startup has been around, uh, gosh, less than 12 months.
0: Less than 12 months. Okay, okay. So you have limited exposure out there. Obviously, a limited amount of base clients. I assume you've sold some companies and you have some companies using it. Give some examples of some. Can you give some specific... Uh, like a case study result or anything like that that you have about it because I think it's really cool what you're
1: doing yeah I mean so we've now got people using the platform in um, the United Kingdom Ireland Australia, New Zealand, the United States um, Canada so we in a short time have uh, in fact the majority of our customers are not in Australia. <laughs> we are a classic digital global business, and um, we uh, and it's very different um, and and Whilst we're a young startup, um, we were birthed out of a consulting firm that, that was a 10-year-old consulting firm. And so we've actually used these tools on publicly listed organizations here in Australia, startups, small to medium enterprises for the last 10 years. And it was a moment where, um, in, our, in our Genesis story, where as COVID hit, it was an opportunity for us to say, who are we? Are we a consulting group or are we a technology platform? And that's the moment we decided to jump off our own cliff and, and become a startup. And, and so we're actually, whilst, whilst we're a startup and we've got people using the platform and it's new there, there's actually 10 years of R and D sitting inside it. The first diagnostic we ever ran back in 2013. Um, So it's a, it, it's, it, it, I've seen publicly listed organizations grow phenomenally through it. I remember, um, I remember working with a, with a client and I'll keep names out, but one of the things we do is we help organizations slow down to speed up. Um, and, um, the, the art of that is as you work through the seven questions, you're developing options. And so by, by question six, there might be 10 or 20 or 30 things you could do to improve the business. Um, but you don't want to do all of them. In fact, um, uh, PwC, PricewaterhouseCoopers, in their state of strategy report, they talk about more than three quarters of executives have identified that they're working on too many initiatives in order for the organisation's strategy to be effective. So put that in layman's terms, you, you're multitasking. You're doing too many things at once. You've actually got to slow down to speed up. And so question seven in, in our framework, seven questions, literally ask the question, Once you've, once you've been through six questions and there's maybe 50 things you could do, it says what one, two or three things that if delivered in the next quarter or half, shift the needle on the organization. And and there's some key words in there, one, two or three, preferably only one or two and delivered, not, not planned and scheduled or, um, but actually delivered working MVP 1.0, 1.1 version in the organization and and what will shift the needle on the organization and it forces the leaders of that organization to step back and go okay j- let's just focus because if we can we can pick the highest value things and deliver them then we're, a we're going to get traction b we're going to get clarity and c we're going to get market feedback on the things we've delivered and we can continue to innovate and improve and that's transformative i remember dealing with a, a reasonably large group, 100 to 150 employees. That's big in Australia. Um, it's small in America. Oh, believe me. I know I, I, I got hooked on a YouTube binge
0: on Australia's version of Shark Tank. And yeah, I learned all about your business market. And it's very good. I actually like, like the Australian version better than I like the American version. Not really sold on the UK version of Lion's Den, I think it's called. Not I don't like it that much or Dragon's Den, I forget, something like that. Uh but the Australia version, it is hot and there's a lot of creativity down there in Australia.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a character trait down here, down under, is is where you were at the arse end of the world. Can I say that? Um where you
0: just did. We we probably got demonetized, you know, like seven times already through this episode.
1: Where you know it's it's hot. Um if the heat doesn't kill you, if the sharks don't kill you, and if the spiders and the snakes don't kill you, then you're doing really well. And so there's there's a lot of creativity and innovation down here on, on doing stuff. Um, uh, living is surviving sometimes. Uh, I, I joke. It's actually an really beautiful place to be. Oh, I just wanted to say this has
0: been a great conversation. We are out of time right now. I've got to ask you though. Did you have, first off, did you have fun? Yeah, it's great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, how can people find out more about you? And also find out about more about uh, Waymaker.
1: Yeah, so for me, uh, best place to hit me up is on LinkedIn. Uh, just search Stuart Leo Waymaker. Um, you'll find me. Connect with me, and I'm I'm pretty responsive. I'm probably on other socials, but I'm a I'm a terrible neighbor on other socials. You're social. probably so you don't know. Uh, probably. Yeah. You, yeah. I don't think I've tweeted in years. So um, uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, visit Waymaker.io. Um, there's a 30 day free trial. If you're a business leader or owner and you want to find um, maybe some answers and go, how can I find that breakthrough growth? Just take our free diagnostic. It's free for 30 days. Um, Jump in and do it. Um, If you're a business coach, yeah, check out our partner program, but um, we'd love to see you on the platform, reach out and say hi. David, been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on the show.
0: Oh, no problem. Everybody, please make sure you check out waymaker.io. I am going to put the link down below in the description. You all know that by now. Stuart, from the land down under, thank you so much for coming on. We're huge Crocodile Dundee fans here. Bless you heaps. Thanks so much. (laughs) Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Wow, that was an incredible chat with Stuart, right? First, you all know the routine. If you found this interview helpful, if it gave you the warm and fuzzies, do me a favor hit that like button, smash that subscribe button. But if you really want to help us out, please share us out to all your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues, your family, anywhere you dwell on the interwebs. We'd really love to help get Sharkbite Biz out there and would love nothing more than Stuart Leo and Waymaker.io to be out there trending on the interwebs. Again, I want to be keeping the outro minimal as I deal with COVID. I don't know if you all can see it, but I feel like a hot mess over here. So I will only make one short comment about this interview. And it was kind of, I was really intrigued uh, by the steps that the British military discovered that led to better high value leadership. It's a really cool story, I think, for all those history buffs out there, but also people looking to build up their leadership skills. I mean, a lot of leadership comes from places like the military those philosophies it comes from the top down so anyways awesome stuff steward thank you so much for coming on and sharing about what you are doing with Waymaker.io. question of the day how did you find your magic recipe to develop your leadership please leave a comment remember if you want to be in the show Interviews at sharkpipebiz.com. Watch it on YouTube. Hit the join button for $3. You can become a baby shark or head on over to deadhousecoffee.com. Use code shark. Get 20% off your fresh coffee order. We'll get all the proceeds to continue making this show the biggest and best we possibly can. I'm David Strasser. This is Shark Pipe Biz and we'll see you next episode. Hopefully COVID free. Ciao.